September 5th, 1774, Boston had just been attacked by the British again. And so the very first Continental Congress decided to meet. And their whole goal for meeting was actually to repair relationships with the British. Not to fight them, but to work at some kind of resolution. And at the very first Continental Congress meeting, I should have Charlie given this talk, because he's going to be a history teacher one of these days. He should tell this story. <laughs> but at the very first meeting, that someone made the motion that we should open all of these uh, gatherings in prayer. And there, it was like a big deal. And John Adams actually wrote this to his wife. I want to read this to you. So this is, this is from John Adams to his wife, Abigail. When Congress met, Mr. Cushing made a motion that it should be opened with prayer. It was opposed by Mr. Jay of New York and Mr. Rutledge of South Carolina because we were so divided in religious sentiments. Some Episcopalians, some Quakers, some Anabaptists, some Presbyterians, and some Congregationalists that we could not join in the same act of worship. Mr. Samuel Adams arose and said that he was no bigot and could hear a prayer from any gentleman of piety and virtue who was at the same time a friend to his country. So some point today, raise a glass to Samuel Adams. You can raise a Samuel Adams to Samuel Adams <laughs> if you want. Samuel Adams was a stranger. So this is still uh, John Adams that's um, writing this letter. He was a stranger to Philadelphia, but he had heard that Mr. Duche deserved that character. And therefore he moved that Mr. Duche, an Episcopal clergyman, might be desired to read prayers to Congress tomorrow morning. So he's still writing here. I never saw a greater effect upon an audience. It seemed as if heaven had ordained that psalm to be read on that morning. After this, Mr. Duche, unexpectedly to everybody, struck out into extemporary prayer, which filled the heart of every man present. I must confess, I never heard a better prayer or one so well pronounced. So the, this, the room is full. All the delegates from the, from the colonies, the delegate from Virginia, who was that? Delegate from Virginia at that time would have been George Washington, a lot of famous people that you'd recognize from the history books. Adams would go on to say this, Reverend Duche's prayer was enough to melt a heart of stone. I saw the tears gush into the eyes of the old, grave, Pacific Quakers of Philadelphia. Would you like to hear that prayer? All right. Let me just read a little bit. First he read the 35th Psalm, and then he prayed this. Be thou present, O God of wisdom, and direct the counsel of this honorable assembly. Enable them to settle on things on the best and surest foundations, that the scene of blood may be speedily closed, that order harmony and peace may be effectually restored and the truth and justice, religion and piety prevail and flourish among the people. Preserve the health of their bodies and the vigor of their minds. Shower down on them and the millions they here represent. Now watch this. This line is where we're going to be headed for our time today. Shower, shower down on them such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. 
All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son and our Savior. Amen. But harmony, order, and peace would not be restored. That Continental Congress only met for six weeks. A year later, 1775, the shot heard round the world. Another year passes, and on July 4th of 1776, they actually vote for the wording to the Declaration of Independence. July 8th, they read it for the very first time outside of Independence Hall. They read it to the public, the first public reading of the Declaration of Independence, to the sound in the background of the ringing of the Liberty Bell. It's an amazing, what the document that you see here was actually um, not until August. They're like, hey, we gotta put this on something that looks serious, and so they, they did that. It's amazing. So today, 245 years later, we still hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pretty cool story. And that's our story as Americans, right? So let's stand together, and we're going to sing a couple of songs, and then we'll get into it. Well, a few weeks ago, I found a brand new radio station, and, and I, I fell in love with it. Like, I don't know if you guys, if you guys ever, like, stumbled across a brand new radio station. We get so set in our ways and our presets, and all of a sudden, you stumble across this brand new radio station. What's the first thing you do so you don't lose it? Hit that preset button. Yeah, and that's what I did. And then, and then the next thing I did is I went to all of our vehicles, and I made sure that it was in all of our vehicles. And I know my wife loves it because it's not the usual country music that I listen to and she can't stand. So usually uh, the local country station is my go-to and, and any hop, hop into any vehicle, but not recently. Uh, 107.9 FM is actually uh, a new worship music like all the time, like, like great new stuff. Um, not the stuff that gets overplayed and worn out on the popular station. And, and I'm super enjoying it. But it's hard to get in certain areas of the county. And like further north, even up here into like Altona, it's, it's kind of staticky and um, you get that static. And strangely enough, there's a couple of spots in Galesburg, I can tell you right where they're at too, where um, it just all of a sudden will switch over to a different style of music. And a little static and then a different genre of music completely. One that's not appropriate. <laughs> And so you'll be worshiping, and you'll be in the worship zone, and then all of a sudden you'll hear these inappropriate words that are like, wait a minute, this, this can't even be on public radio. Like, how is this happening? And I don't know if there's like a bootleg radio station in this area, or if I'm just like tapping into somebody's Bluetooth that's on that frequency, or, or how that works. But when it happens, it's startling, especially in contrast to worship music. The other day I was pulling out of the coffee shop and I'm worshiping and my favorite worship song is on the radio, uh, The Blessing by Carrie Job. I don't know if you've heard that one. We've, we've done it here a couple weeks ago and uh, it's, it's like my favorite right now. And I'm like, oh man, turn this up. The Blessing by Carrie Job and it's awesome. And it's just me, God, and Carrie Job in my vehicle, windows rolled up and I am in the worship zone. I'm talking, my hands would be raised if I didn't need them on the, on the wheel. You know what I mean? It's good stuff. And then, bam, without warning, ACDC, Highway to Hell. <laughs> and for a moment, 
there's this part of me that is both startled and strangely satisfied. Like, I'm torn. You know, I'm like, I'm worshiping with this great worship music, but then I kind of like that ACD song, ACDC song, Don't Judge Me. I mean, it brings back some memories, and, and it's got a good tune. And the irony of the contradiction is not lost on me in that moment. And, and I'm, I'm doing a great job of keeping my mind focused on Jesus and worshiping. And in a split second, I'm humming Highway to Hell by ACDC. And I felt a little guilty. And it was this weird tension. And I remember thinking to myself, that's what it's like to be an apprentice of Jesus. Like, we live in the static, don't we? (laughs) I mean, to be an apprentice of Jesus, to want to be with Jesus, to want to become like Jesus, to want to begin doing what Jesus did, and yet we're constantly pulled in two different directions as apprentices of Jesus all the time. We know what is right. We know that we want to hunger for the truth. We want to hunger for the things of God. We want to constantly direct and redirect our mind to God. But we live in this world that honestly is is selling a different message. And, And it promises fun and its version of freedom. And it's enticing. And it looks like it offers joy and pleasure and and all of those things. And it was in that moment that I understood the static between the promise of the kingdom of heaven from our heavenly Father and the pursuit of happiness promised by the founding fathers. This is the static between the now and the not yet. And while we wait for and prepare for the kingdom of heaven, let's just be honest. The world offers some pretty cool stuff. And the kingdom of America feels more real, doesn't it? Let's look at what Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21. Paul says this, Join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we live in this static of dual citizenship between the now and the not yet. And we even see King David acknowledge this at the end of his life. If anyone could have believed that the kingdom of God and an earthly kingdom were on the same channel, certainly the nation of Israel, especially towards the end of David's life. I mean, these were God's chosen people from the lineage, from this lineage, we know that the Savior is promised Solomon would be anointed king, and everyone knew that his first job was to build the temple. David had spent his entire reign in accumulating supplies. It was going to be the literal house of God, the place where God himself would come to earth and meet with his 
people. I mean, you talk about kingdom of heaven on earth. They, they had to think that. But look what David says in his final address to his people. This is in 1 Chronicles 29. And 1 Chronicles is just like a highlight reel, like an ESPN, like top 10 of David's life. And at the end, we see David call all the people together. He's had one son that's tried to overthrow, but we know that God has anointed Solomon, and so that's the, that's the guy who's going to lead Israel um, from there on. And David has this moment that's recorded for us in 1 Chronicles 29, 10. And this is a big deal. I mean, this is, this is a moment, this is a transition of power that like foreign dignitaries would have come to see. We, the, a few weeks ago, we were at the uh, Independence Hall. There's a little building next to that. And the first major transition of power was when George Washington transitioned to John Adams. And they said that they pointed to this balcony and it was full of foreign dignities. And they said that was the first time that it ever, that it ever happened. Well, actually, um, here's one here. Well, that's the first time it would have happened where it's not a son or an heir or a relative, right? But here's one here that uh, is just as powerful. I mean, so you just got to understand the magnitude of this. And this is what happens in 1 Chronicles 29. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Then drop down to verse 14. But who am I? And you're King David. That's who you are. Like, you're a big deal. But he says it like this. But who am I? And, and what is my people? For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all of our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in our hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. And so it is with us. An apprentice of Jesus lives in the static between the now and the not yet, this dual citizenship between our loyalty to our country and our primary allegiance to the kingdom of heaven. And that's hard to do in America, because there's a lot of static. <laughs> so how do we navigate the static between the two stations that we currently live in? And we've discussed this before. The key is to learn to be in two places at once. This is review. So we've talked about driving the tractor and being in the Father's presence, grading papers and being in the Father's presence, doing dishes, folding laundry, mowing the grass, answering emails, and all of it while being in the Father's presence. The secret to being with Jesus is learning to be in two places at once, all day, every day, in the middle of the static. Another way is to place high value on gathering, like what we're doing here today, right now. And I love how the author of Hebrews says it in chapter 10, starting at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do not forsake the gathering. It's in isolation that we kind of get stuck in these, these echo chambers of news and information. Remember, we're, we're shaped by the stories that we believe. Those stories impact our ideology, and then our ideology, if we're not careful, can become our idol. Anybody seen that recently? <laughs> yeah, in social media and in politics. And I've seen it happen to dedicated apprentices of Jesus somewhere on the way to the Great Commission. We settle for making America great again. And don't misunderstand me. I thank, I thank God for America. And, and our freedom and the way Judeo-Christian faith has influenced our policies and the evidence of the hand of God protecting and blessing its people, at least for now, for the majority of our short history. But for the, for the past several years, I, I've felt like a political orphan with an ever-growing sense of awareness that this world is not our home. And maybe as an apprentice of Jesus, that's the way it's supposed to be. This is a great passage to memorize. If you find yourself drawn to isolation or you found yourself overwhelmed by the static in recent days, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Making America great is fine, but we'd, better, we'd probably be better if we focused on making people good, you know? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then finally, it's in the gathering that Jesus gives us this ordinance called communion. Where we can be reminded of the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ, and kind of look forward to a future with him where there is no static. You see, the early church began around a table. We forget this. The early church began around a table. The first 250 years of church happened in a house. 250 years. So we're almost 250 years old as a nation. Just imagine like, that's a long time for the beginning of the church. They met in a house. The church was persecuted. Apprentices of Jesus, they were killed. But they still had incredible influence on culture. And not through policy reform or lobbying against Rome or raising up conservative politicians, but by making disciples around a dining room table. That's, that's how they did it. And they served the poor and then Constantine, a Roman emperor, is converted around 300 AD, okay? And overnight, the church goes from a place of persecution to a place of power. And it's, it's really weird, and, and I don't understand it all. But between then and the Reformation in the 1500s, the table is actually replaced with a pulpit. And the good out of that is that it put the authority of the Bible front and center, Okay? But the bad is that it made the sacrament kind of a side note 
and a person behind the pulpit kind of became the focus. So here's my challenge for us this week. My challenge for us is to return this practice of communion back into your home. You don't need to wait for the pastor once a month. Plan an opportunity to gather with your family or friends around a table and have some bread and crackers and and some wine or juice. And I'm going to actually teach you how to do that. I'm going to have the ushers go ahead and come up to begin distributing the elements. Um, And as we do this, I'm just going to invite you to hold hold these. Uh, Karen is going to play a little bit of music. So just as you get these, just kind of hold them and wait. We're all going to take, partake of them together. But what I want you to do as Karen plays is I want you to just kind of reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus. I want you to repent of any sin. Yeah, go ahead, guys. Um, and, I, and then we're going to come back together. And I want you to just kind of make a mental note of how you could do this in your house at home as it was originally intended around a meal, okay? So Karen, you play as we, as we reflect. Mm-hmm.